0: If you would, please turn to the book of Psalms, and we are going to Psalm 7. so Psalm 7, pick it up in verse 1. O Lord, my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me, lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rending it in pieces with none to deliver. O Lord, my God, if I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands, If I have repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it, and let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me. You have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you. Over it return on high. The Lord judges the peoples. Judge me. O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. O let the evil of the wicked come to an end, and may you establish the righteous, you who test the minds and hearts, O righteous God. My shield is with God, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head, and on his own skull his violence descends. I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord the Most High. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we are incredibly thankful that we, got, we have a God of righteousness who stands with us. And Father, we pray that you may help us to be encouraged by the truths of your word. Lord, there are certainly many injustices in the world. There is a lot of wickedness in the world. But we are not a people without hope. Because we believe in a God of righteousness who will establish His righteousness upon the earth. And who has already begun establishing that righteousness. by justifying those who believe in Jesus and making them stand in the righteousness of Christ. And so through your word, help us to stand this morning on the righteousness of Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. It's easy to read a Psalm like 7 and sort of, well, one, dismiss it because there's a lot of... uh, things in the psalm that we don't necessarily want to think about. There are things in the psalm that we would rather just kind of gloss over and kind of skip. But there are certain, some things in the psalms that might sort of cause us to think that, well, it's not really having to do much with me. Because giving the little information that we have from the psalm, it seems that the psalmist was David, is sort of going through a particular time in his life where he is, might be falsely accused of wrongdoing. He pleads to the Lord and asks the Lord to establish him, to stand for him, because he's in the right. He's not guilty of wrongdoing. right? So unless you find yourself today in a situation where maybe you are accused of something you haven't done, then you might not really resonate with what's happening in the psalm. And that's okay, whether that's whether you're kind of in that position today or not. You maybe you have experienced that at some point in your life. But we also live in a time when Christianity is looked on disfavorably. Right? And as Christians, we might find ourselves in a point in time when we might be brought to court because of our faith in the gospel or because of our conscience. And then... Psalm 7 will be really, really relevant. And so I want to look at this psalm with you. And whether or not you find yourself resonating with what's happening in the psalm, I think there are still some things that we can take from the psalm. So the first thing I think we can take away from Psalm 7 is that we can learn. To plead before a righteous judge. So verses verses one and two it begins, O Lord, my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me, lest like a lion they tear my soul apart. So throughout the psalm, we see that the psalmist, that the author, makes his appeal to God, and appeals to God in two different ways. He appeals to God as judge, as the righteous one, the one who will uphold the righteous, the one who will consider the weight of evidence and looked favorably upon the innocent one. So there's, there's that, that aspect in the Psalms. But then there's another way that the psalm is pleased to God. Again, it begins, O Lord, my God. The psalm is pleased to God, not just as a righteous judge who is impartial for sure, but also as God as a father. O Lord, my God. Kind of an, an image that I think of when I read that psalm. It's an image of a child who in distress or in fear of danger or in fear of something runs to his parent, runs behind him, clings to his leg, wait for mommy or daddy to protect him. The psalmist is coming to God, his personal God, a God that he has a relationship with, and he's coming and asking that you would be a shield for me. Let me hide behind your protection. And he makes this appeal based on a righteousness. And this isn't necessarily a righteousness that comes from not having done what he has perhaps been accused of doing, something wrong. But it is a righteousness based on faith a faith through which he has a relationship with God. When The Scriptures, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, is concerned with God's relationship with man. How can man have a right relationship with God? Because the Scriptures teach us that man and God are separated. Not just separated, but there there is a hostility between God and man because God is righteous because God is holy and man is unrighteous and man is unholy. You can't just bring both parties together and say that it is all good and well. But faith is what brings that relationship and restores that relationship. And there's a faith through which the psalmist is declared righteous. And when you have this faith in God, And as a result, have the righteousness of Christ. I mean, it tells us in Old Testament, and we see it emphasized again in the New Testament, that Abraham, for example, chosen, called out by God, and he believed in God, and was declared to him as righteousness. And when you have that righteousness that only comes from God through faith, right? you need not fear any accusations. Even the devil's accusations don't mean anything in the courtroom of God. You may be familiar with this passage in Zechariah chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing on his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head, So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. What a beautiful picture that we have of the gospel, that we come before God with filthy rags, Dirtied up because of our unrighteousness, because of our sins. And when we come to God in faith and repentance, God says, remove those dirty rags and replace those with a a pure and clean robes of righteousness. And when you wear those robes of righteousness, you have the God of righteousness on your side. so there's a plea to God as a personal God and as a righteous judge. Not just a judge, but an angry judge. In verse 6, David cries out, Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake from me. You have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you. Return over it. return on high. It seems that like there's a calling for a high court to be put together. It's just like Job, if you're familiar with Job's story, he called for there to be a court where he stands and pleads his case. It seems like the psalmist is calling out to God, let there be a courtroom with God as a judge. Let there be a jury. Let the evidence be presented and you will see that I am an innocent man, that I am righteous. And it's a bold plea, right? Because if you call upon a judge in a courtroom to be put together, and then the weight of evidence actually shows that you are unrighteous, well then, right, you're going to pay dearly. So it is a bold plea. And in this courtroom, in this heavenly courtroom, right, there is this is a divine judge. And no amount of money can purchase the favor of the divine judge No amount of money can get you the best lawyer to get you out of your predicament. You cannot bribe the judge. Even the scriptures tell us that what gift can you give to God that he might repay you? Right, Especially when you know that God knows all. God sees all. And so there's a bold plea to stand before the courtroom of God. You can have that kind of a bold plea because you wear the righteousness of God. He calls upon God to rise in his anger. Right, we'd expect an impartial judge to withhold his emotions. Right, we want him to be impartial. We don't want necessarily for him to show any kind of favor or disfavor to anyone. Right, he's, he has to be impartial. But it doesn't mean that the judge does not feel anything. It doesn't mean, does not mean that when he goes to his private quarters that he doesn't feel any sense of anger or pity for the victim. Because the judge is still a person. And a righteous judge, even though he may not show it in the courtroom, will feel a sense of anger towards unrighteous, or, or unrighteousness. it's a call upon God to awake and to rise in his anger. His anger is stronger than the fury of the adversaries. Because again, remember, this isn't just a God who is righteous and impartial, but this is also a judge who is our God, a personal God, who not only feels anger at unrighteousness, but also feels anger towards unrighteousness inflicted upon his own children. Awake, arise in your anger, the passage says. Not that God is sleeping, but that God would be awakened to this injustice. That he would come sort of alive to what is happening. So we see from the psalm, one thing that we can take away is how to plead before the Lord, that we plead to him as a righteous judge, but more than that, we can plead to him as a son or daughter. And we can be confident right, that He is a righteous judge and that He will judge in an impartial manner. And when we come before the Lord, something else we see in the passage, that we can have a confident assurance before the righteous judge. Verse 8, the Lord judges the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. O, let the evil of the wicked come to an end, and may you establish the righteous, you who test the minds and hearts, O righteous God. My shield is with God, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge who feels indignation every day. Again, we see a boldness in the writer. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness, according to the integrity that is in me. Right. Some some people white will swear, and know when you go, when, I mean, you've, you've seen it in a courtroom, where when you're going to bear witness or you're going to give a testimony, you're called to stand with a hand on the Bible and a hand up and say, "I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth." Even outside of the courtroom, people have different ways of swearing to whatever it is swearing to, to their honesty, to their integrity, towards their righteousness. They will swear in different ways. I swear on this, I'll swear on that, I'll swear on my mom, I'll swear on your mom, whatever the case might be. And a person could still be lying, right? right but God is not wearing a blindfold. God's ears are not plugged up. God knows everything god sees everything even the intentions of one's heart psalm ninety-four eleven reminds us the lord knows the thoughts of man romans 2 6 tells us he god will render to each one according to his works that presumes that god knows everything about you and me to be able to render to each one according to his works The Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, all of that presumes that God knows and sees everything, even the intentions and desires in the heart of man. Right from swearing oaths, right to lusting, to lying, it all presumes that God knows every single thing about you and me. In Matthew 6 1, God knows all and sees all. The passage there is talking about doing good to others instead of proclaiming it boldly, I've done this, I've done that. No, don't look for that kind of attention. Reason being because God rewards His people even when things are done in secret that nobody ever knows about. When you do something or give to somebody anonymously, God knows and he rewards. God knows all and sees all. God cannot be lied to. Right, when, it comes, when it comes to the gospel, right, when we believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we need not fear that we are serving a God that knows in everything about our lives, because we've been covered by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But those who do not have that righteousness, that who are not dressed in that righteousness, have things to have reason to fear, because there is a divine Judge who watches, who sees, who hears, who understands, who knows the intentions of the hearts. Sees the desires and renders every single one of those things worthy of judgment. That even, even if you should live out your life as a way to earn God's favor, by doing good deeds, by doing good works, at the end of the day it will not mean anything, because you see righteousness is not primarily concerned with doing. It's not primarily concerned with one's works or display of one's fruit of their life, but righteousness is primarily concerned with relationship. The first commandment says, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all of your might. That is the first commandment. And even in effort to live one's life in order to earn the favor of God by doing good deeds, is still essentially selfishly motivated because it does not come from a love for God. It's coming from a desire to spare yourself from judgment. But the Bible teaches us that true righteousness comes from first loving the Lord your God by believing in him believing in the Son that He has sent into the world to die on the cross for sinners. And it doesn't mean, right, that we are then made perfectly righteous. Righteousness is a legal declaration that through faith in Christ you are declared righteous, declared righteous and that this declaration is gradually changing you until one day you will be perfectly transformed to be righteous. We see Christ. But even the psalmist himself is not appealing to a perfect righteousness. In verse 3, it says, O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend with evil, if I have plundered my enemy without cause, then let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it and let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. We see a sense of humility. See, entrusts himself to the Lord. It's an example to us. why We entrust ourselves to the Lord, for the Lord to defend us. To defend what is right, and not take matters into our own hands and take vengeance upon our own hands. But there, there is a category for sin. And if I have done this, if I have wronged, there's a category in his mind. If in case if he has committed error, though I don't think this is a confession of sin. He's not necessarily confessing his sins before the Lord. We see other examples in the Psalms where he has sinned and he confesses that sin before the Lord. And confession certainly is important. right? As sinners, we have been declared righteous, but we still sin. Right, I wonder, when was the last time you confessed your sins before the Lord? Right? Has it been days, has it been weeks before you've gone before the Lord in your private space? may perhaps read the word and let the word convict you of sin and come before the Lord in and repentance com- and admittance that I have sinned against you, Lord, and I'm asking for forgiveness. You see, it's, it doesn't do us any good to never confess our sins before the Lord. Even though we understand we've been forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ, we're still commanded to come before the Lord and confess our sins, and pray and ask for his forgiveness. In Psalm 32, 5, I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Proverbs twenty-eight, thirteen: Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. First John one nine, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We confess our sins to the Lord as an act of humility because we are when we confess our sins, we are admitting that we are not perfect. We are admitting that we still need the righteousness of Christ to transform our hearts. When we come before the Lord confessing our sins, it is an opportunity for us to trust in the promise of First John 1, 9, that who for, he who, for, who confesses his sins to the Lord is forgiven. It's an opportunity to remind yourself of the gospel of Jesus Christ and trust in the gospel. I acknowledge my sin to you, O Lord, and I did not cover my iniquity. I confess my sins before you, and I also trust in the forgiveness of my sins through the blood of Jesus Christ. And we have this confidence to come before the Lord, and we have this confidence that we will be forgiven, not because of us, but because of Jesus. because he is our righteousness. Then lastly, as we plead before the Lord, based on his being a righteous judge, based on his his being our personal Father and Savior, as we make our pleas in confidence before the Lord because of the righteousness that we wear through Jesus Christ, we can also trust in the judgment of the righteous judge. In verse 9, O oh, let the evil of the wicked come to an end, and may you establish the righteous, you who test the minds and hearts, O righteous God. My shield is with God, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge, and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent his and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head and on his own skull. His violence descends. If you have believed in Jesus Christ for your salvation, the question is, will you continue to believe in the midst of adversity, in the stress, in the midst of suffering, and even in the midst of of trial and persecution on account of faith, of your faith? Will you believe in God when mistreated? Will you still believe that God will uphold the righteous? Notice the psalmist's faith. He says, my shield is with God. My shield is with God who saves the upright in heart. This is a truth about God. The truth is that God saves the upright in heart. And so if you are upright in heart through faith in Christ, then you have a shield as your defense. John Calvin says that, and this is genuine and undoubted proof of our faith. When being visited with adversity, we yet persevere in cherishing and exercising hope in God. From this passage, we also learn that the gate of mercy is shut against our prayers if the key of faith do not open it for us. We have to trust. We have to trust in the shield who is God to help us, to protect us, to defend us, to establish the righteous. Only then can the gate of mercy be opened for us when we exercise our faith whether it's through adversity, whether it's distress, whether it's suffering, whether it's sorrow, whether it's trials on account of one's faith, right? you have to continue to believe and trust in God. There's a good movie called The Hidden Life about a family or farmers. not actually based on a true story. And this is in the time of Hitler and, and Nazis, and he's worried about being drafted because when you are drafted, well, you're also called to swear allegiance to Hitler. He's talking to various different people. Right, even the priest is not helpful. He's finally drafted. You come to this scene in the movie, and, this, and this is, you feel the tension when all these men are, are standing in line, and every single one of them has a hand raised and swearing allegiance to Hitler, and the only one in the ranks is this man, just hands down, not saying a word. Because his conscience will not allow to swear his life to a man he considers is committing abominable acts of evil. His faith will not let him. And he's arrested, thrown in prison, spends the rest of his life in prison. All on account of his faith. Inmates, fellow inmates are not helpful. Even the priest who comes and visits him says, it doesn't matter what you say, what's in your heart. Even that man wasn't helpful. I mean, it's a tangible example of what it looks like to entrust one's life unto the Lord. That is what faith looks like. That is what faith is enduring. And that's the kind of faith that we are called to have. And the Bible says, and I see this in the psalm as well, that God establishes the righteous, that God also rewards the righteous. He favors the righteous, but the unrighteous, on the other hand, will pay for their deeds. One commentator says, The figure which represents Jehovah as having bent his bow and made it ready is awfully descriptive of the exposed situation of every sinner until he returns to the shepherd and bishop of souls. The whole system of nature and providence is ready at the bidding of the Almighty to inflict the blow that shall hurl him to perdition. The archer of divine vengeance stands, as it were, with bended bow, and the next arrow that he discharges may pierce with everlasting anguish the soul that now glides unsecurely in the career of thoughtlessness and crime. It's like a heat-seeking missile. It tells us that the Arrow of God is, paid, is pointed to the unrighteous. It has their name on it. And the frightening thing is that you never know when the arrow is going to fly. And God is 100% accurate. The arrow will meet its target. And the only escape is for the one who is the target to run to Jesus Christ. To run to the one who has the, the arrow aimed at him and plead for mercy, turn to repentance, and entrust their life to the Lord Jesus. God is a righteous judge. And for that reason alone, we can give glory to God. That's how the psalm ends. I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness. I will sing praise to the name of the Lord the Most High. There's no indication in the entire psalm that he's out of his particular situation. But he ends the psalm by giving glory to God. How can he give glory to God if, let's say, the the situation hasn't changed? He can give glory to God because he is absolutely certain that God will establish the righteous. Because God will establish the righteous, we can continue to sing and praise God, just like Paul and Silas did when they were in prison, because of the faith. They weren't necessarily singing because they were happy by being there, though they did count it worthy of being persecuted for the faith. But they can sing praise to God even in prison because they know that they have a righteous judge who in the end will establish them and sees everything and will reward them because of God in Christ we have or we never ever have reason to question our innocence before men but with confidence we can still worship him and praise him something else we can take away from the psalm is that You and I should commit our lives to God every single day. It requires everyday faith to submit yourself to the government of God. And it requires great faith because His deliverance may not be on your timetable. His deliverance may not be the kind of deliverance that you necessarily want or desire or pray for. Submitting yourself every day to the government of God means that you are not taking matters into your own hands and avenging your own self, but letting God the judge avenge those who are his. It does take great faith to submit ourselves to his justice. We can be confident and we can have peace because we know that God will establish his righteousness. Righteousness. That God will establish his righteous people. In the eyes of God, you are a rose among thorns, or a knight among dragons, if for you men who prefer a more masculine illustration. And from the psalm, I think we can also learn to look to the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross reminds us of the righteous judgment of God. That at the cross, we see Jesus Christ who took our sins upon himself and received the just penalty for it. But we also know the gospel story. We also see that three days later, Jesus was resurrected from the grave, showing that this sacrifice was pleasing to God, showing that Jesus was perfectly righteous. So in the gospel, we are reminded that God is a righteous judge and all those who believe and follow him will ultimately be established. That they are the ones who will endure until the very end, until forever and ever and ever. That his righteousness, God's righteousness will be established on the earth and the only ones, the only citizens in that kingdom will be the righteous. You never need fear of what may be done to you, what may happen to you in this life. Because you know that you have a shield who is with you, because you know that you have a God who is righteous, who stands by your side, and will establish you. He stands by your side, not just as an objective judge who is impartial, but he also stands by your side and will establish you because he looks upon you as a son or daughter who cares for you, who loves you. And from this, we can also learn just how to make our pleas before the Lord. Yes, we confess our sins before the Lord. We acknowledge our iniquity before God. We trust in His forgiveness, but we can also make a plea to God no matter what your distress is, no matter what your situation, no matter what kind of suffering you are enduring. You can come before the Lord and plead to God as a righteous judge. Plead to God based on your righteousness. God, I am righteous before you because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And my Bible tells me that you come and you uphold the righteous. So God, I am asking that you would come by my side, that you would help me, that you would come to me, and that you can also come to God as a father. You can say before God, God, the blood of your precious son was spilled on my behalf. And so I come to you as your son, as your daughter, and I'm asking that you would come to my aid that you would deliver me, that you would help me, that you would establish me because you have purchased me and you have made me yours. So no matter what situation you find yourself in, whether or not you resonate with what's happening in the psalm or not, there is so much here for us to take away. We can learn to plead before God as a righteous judge and father and even if we come and when we come to plead before God we can have a confidence not based on our own merits but because of the righteousness of God that has been given to us through faith in Christ and even if the situation in our lives may not change we can still give glory to God because we know that God still remains with us and God will establish the righteous let's pray father we We come before you this morning, and we come and we we worship you, we praise you, we pray to you, we sit under your word because of the righteousness of Christ. We don't come before you with the filthy rags of our good works. We come only through the pure righteousness of Christ. Christ. And Lord, we ask that you may help us to remember these truths. We ask that you may help us to have a confidence that comes from a righteousness that has been credited to our account through faith in Jesus Christ. God, we pray that you may give to us a boldness so that when we come before you, in good times or bad, we may not be ashamed or fearful or timid about pleading based on the righteousness that we wear through faith in Christ. May we never be ashamed of that righteousness. May we never be ashamed that we have this personal relationship with you. We thank you, Lord, for saving us We thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming to us, for rescuing us, and even to this day for upholding us through the Holy Spirit that abides in your people. We thank you, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.